Scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Timothy. Let me turn there. Give me just a moment. You can turn there as well. Chapter 5, verses 17 to 25. Chapter 5, verses 17 to 25 says this. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. The scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the the rest may stand in fear. In, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudicing, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later, so also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. This is the word of the Lord. Well, when I of instrumental men in my life, there is almost no one who stands out more to me than our guest today, uh, Pastor Tim Thule. I was attending uh, Christ Community Church, an evangelical free church in Laguna Hills, where Don Smith was pastor who preached here a couple weeks ago, uh, if you were here. And Tim Thule was my college pastor there. And it was at this time I was sensing kind of an internal call to ministry. And I'm not sure if Tim remembers this moment, but we were at a wedding of some of our friends and at, I think like the food line even. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, have you ever thought of about a call to ministry? And I had been at that time. The Lord had been internally working on me. And I said, well, actually, yeah, I have. Uh, it was one of those kind of uh, divinely ordained moments uh, in my life. And from that moment, uh, Tim as my college pastor kind of took me under his wing. And we went on to start reading books together about ministry. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Preaching and Preachers, and Charles Spurgeon's Lectures to My Students, and Tim served there with uh, there at Christ Community and mentored me for a few years, but then he went on to a lead pastor role himself to Grace Central Coast in San Luis Obispo, where he served for how many years now? Years. 19 now, so almost 20 years. Um, and then in... Tw- and uh, where, well, and then in 2012, actually, I went then to work with Tim after I pastored at Christ Community Church for a while, and um, it had been something we've been wanting to do and talked about many times over the years, and finally the Lord worked it out in his providence. And then, so he committed to pouring into me a second time years later to train me then for a lead pastor role. So that was in 2016 at Grace Central Coast when uh, Jack and Leslie Rance visited, and uh, Pastor Don was there as well, and Pastor Tim prayed for me to come here. Um, so there's a connection between all the, the men we've had here so far. And, and as we welcome Tim today, kind of one more fun fact. It's 15 years ago to the Sunday, actually, that Robin and I were newly married and we made our first little vacation trip up to San Luis Obispo and Tim had me preach in the pulpit there 15 years ago today. So yeah, kind of full circle. Let's welcome Pastor Tim Thule back here today. Thank you, Jeff. Well, good morning, Bethany Church. How are you today? 
It is such a joy to be here. I have uh, heard so much about you, both through Pastor Jeff. We've tried to do monthly Zoom uh, FaceTime calls. We haven't pulled it off every month, but uh, through those calls, I've been hearing about you and all the things that have been happening here at Bethany and uh, and then so many of our church family have come up to the Pacific Northwest and have dropped in on Pastor Jeff, which really is a testimony of how much he was loved and cared for by our church family. And so I've heard so much about you, and uh, it's a great thrill for me to be here today. You know, the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, calls the Christians in Philippi his joy and his crown whom he loves and longs for. And I feel the exact same way about your pastor, Jeff. He really is my joy and my crown, a brother and a gospel partner whom I still love and long for. I look forward to our chats when we can pull those off. And how thrilling it is for me to see and spend time in the church where God has called him. The place looks great, by the way. I know that you've been in the midst of uh, some refurbishment and remodeling, and I had a chance to walk through it yesterday, and you guys have done a great job. The campus looks fantastic, and uh, I said to Jeff yesterday, I'm looking forward to seeing some people in it tomorrow, and so great job, everyone. I think you are poised for the future and poised for growth. Thank you for your welcome and the opportunity to be here today. I want to know, do you have a Bible with you today? If you do, let me see it. Yeah, great. Maybe you're using a smartphone or a tablet today. That's fine too. But uh, I want to encourage you, if you haven't yet, make sure you open your Bible to uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5 with me. Grab that outline in your worship folder, which is going to help you follow along. I always say, because I'm convinced, that if you take notes... It's going to help you remember more. It's going to make this uh, message more sticky in your mind and heart. And that's what I want. I want this message to stick with you. Really, really grateful because I know that Pastor Jeff spoke on slavery last week, and a text up beyond the uh, slavery text is one on money, so thank you so much, Jeff, for not pinning me with those. I get to talk about uh, biblical eldership in the church. So, here's what I always say. There are really only two legitimate reasons to leave a local church in your community. People leave churches for all sorts of different reasons, but I believe there are really only two legitimate reasons to leave a church. The first reason to leave a church is if the church's teaching and doctrine have strayed and become unbiblical in some way. The second legitimate reason to leave a church is if the church's leadership has become unbiblical or corrupt in some way. And the two really go hand in hand, don't they? For the leadership of the local church is ultimately responsible for the teaching of that local church. And the teaching of that local church, how a church handles the Bible, will undoubtedly shape and form how it approaches its leadership. What is true for every organization is also true in the local church. The local church 
rises and falls on the quality of its leadership. Let me say that again. The local church rises and falls on the quality of its leadership. Therefore, nothing is more crucial, and I mean nothing, nothing is more crucial for the health of a local church than its leadership. The Apostle Paul knew this, which is why he highlights five biblical principles related to elders and their leadership right here in the text we're going to look at today, 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 through 25. All through the New Testament, pastors are elders and elders are pastors. It's only one office in the New Testament, not two. But even as in our day, in the first century, some of those pastor elders were paid and some were not. In the earliest days of the church, the apostles, like Paul, and their disciples, like Timothy, they were responsible for planting local churches and raising up pastor elders in those local churches that they planted. And we see that here in 1 Timothy and also in 2 Timothy and Titus. In our day, 2,000 years later, every local church must determine how elders are raised up and appointed in their unique local church contexts. And yet, however that happens, and it happens differently in different churches, there are clear biblical principles that are to guide that process and clear biblical principles that are to guide elders as they lead and shepherd in their local church. And that's what we see here in 1 Timothy chapter 5. Five of those elder principles. So look at the text with me and notice the first principle of elder leadership. It's the principle of the plurality of leaders, the plurality of elders. Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Notice that the word elder is plural, and this is what we see across the entire New Testament. It's never one elder in a local church. It's always a plurality of elders. So let me show you a few other passages. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, do not neglect the gift that you have. So this is the same book, only earlier, a chapter earlier, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders, see the plurality there, laid their hands on you. Acts chapter 20, verse 25, now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders, plural, elders of the church to come to him. Titus chapter 1, verse 5, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint, look at the plural again, elders in every town as I directed you. Uh, one more, James chapter 5, verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders, plural, of the church, and let them pray over him and uh, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And so we see God's leadership model for the local church is not a Moses model of leadership. It's not a one-man show. It's not an authoritarian, charismatic, autocratic lead pastor. It's not a collection of hand-picked yes-men who do whatever the lead pastor says and wants. 
No, God's leadership model for every local church is a plurality of humble, godly, biblically qualified elders who mutually submit to the Lord and to one another. If you're in a church like Bethany, it's easy to take this for granted. But sadly, this is increasingly not the case. This plurality of eldership is not the case in too many churches. In our community, I would say that a plurality of elders is the rarity in churches around us, not the rule. A plurality of elders does two things. It protects the people from the pastor but it also protects the pastor from the people. I'll let you think about that. Let me say it again. It protects the people from the pastor, a plurality does, and the plurality also protects the pastor from the people. Over the 18 years that I've served in our church, Grace Central Coast, we've made some really big, really heavy, really sometimes expensive decisions. And every time... I've, I've sort of personally freaked out in the middle of those, those decisions, and sometimes I've second-guessed what we're doing, but every time I've been able to go home, lay my head on the pillow at night, and sleep like a baby, because I know that our elders, the plurality of our elders, have made those decisions together. These weren't my decisions. These were our decisions and I don't give it, get everything I want in our church. you got to know that because I, too, am mutually submissive to the plurality of our elders. I, I defer. I submit to them. Not by a long shot do I get everything I want. Bethany, the plurality of your elders here is an awesome thing, probably one that you take for granted. Pastor Jeff doesn't make all the decisions by himself, and he doesn't get everything he wants. I hear about it on our Zoom calls. No, no, no. Every decision that's made here is made by your elders together. Give thanks for that, Bethany Church. Promote your plurality. This is something we celebrate in our church. So celebrate that in your community. It's an awesome thing. In fact, it's a biblical thing the plurality of elders. The second elder principle that Paul speaks of in 1 Timothy 5 is the role of elders, the role of elders. Notice in 5.17 that he speaks actually of two different roles. It's easy to miss. Look at it again. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. So that's the first role that's mentioned, the first role of elders, the role of ruling, and we'll say a little bit about that in a second. But look, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching, and that's the second role that's mentioned here, the role of preaching and teaching. So elders in a local church are not to function like a board of directors or a board of advisors who rubber stamp the decision, every decision of the lead pastor and staff. I've heard of churches in our day whose elder teams are made up not of guys from their own local church, but of pastors and hotshot bigwigs from outside their churches. That's absolutely insane to me. 
that, that, a, that elders in a local church would be from outside that church, but that's what we're seeing in our day. Uh, that's wild, and that's not the biblical model at all. Elders are to be actively, vitally, intimately involved in the life of their local church. I'm going to be honest and tell you that I don't love that word rule here, and maybe you don't either. It smacks of authoritarian, it has a dictatorial feel to it. Well, that word that's translated rule is the Greek word proistemi, and it's the same word that's used back in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy when speaking of elder qualifications, and I'm sure that you looked at that passage together, except back in chapter 3, it's translated manage. Take a look. He must, an elder, a, a potential elder, must manage, there it is, proistemi, his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to proistemi, manage his own household, look at this, how will he care for God's church? So while this word proistemi definitely implies the exercise of authority, which we think when we see the word rule, it also includes the idea of leading, managing, and don't miss it, caring. Peter uses another word which I think expresses this same leading, caring role. The word that Peter uses is the word shepherd. Take a look, 1 Peter 5, it's another big elder passage in the New Testament. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Here it is. Shepherd, same idea here, the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. I like this too. It's so important in our day, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So this is what pastor elders do. This is their role. They lead, they care, they manage, they give oversight. And one of the primary ways that they do this is through that second role, preaching and teaching. Their call is not to preach themselves. Their, their, their call is not to preach their own ideas or the latest news headlines. No, the call, the, the call of pastor elders is to preach God's Word, the Bible. For the Bible is meant to be the rule of every true local church. God speaks and has spoken through the words of this book. And you know it, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But the Bible is a thick, rich, com uh, complex book, and so it must be opened up, broken down, and explained. What's in this book must be opened up and brought out explained truth by truth. And this is the role of pastor elders in a local church, which is why we saw that one of the qualifications for elders back in chapter 3, verse 12, is able to teach. 
Pastor elders are responsible for defending and proclaiming the gospel in all the scriptures and in this way protecting the local church from false doctrine. Some elders are going to be better teachers and preachers than others, and not every elder needs to be able to preach in the church in a Sunday morning service or even in a Sunday adult Sunday school class, but every elder should be able to at least lead and teach a small group. The text seems to admit that some elders will focus more on teaching than others with its phrase, did you see the phrase, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So, do you see, do you hear the double role of elders in a local church highlighted here? Leading, caring, managing, shepherding, but also preaching and teaching. Which brings us to the honor of elders. It's the third principle here in 1 uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, the honor of elders. Look at it again in verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, verse 18, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Just as children are to honor their parents as their God-given authorities, so we see here God's people are to honor their pastor elders. But what does this honor look like? Paul even calls it a double honor. Well, it can't be denied that in some cases that honor involves financial remuneration or financial compensation. After all, look at the two illustrations that Paul uses here. The first is a quote from Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. The point is that ox is entitled to some of that grain that it's treading, some of the fruit of its labor. The ox is uh, entitled to that. The second illustration that Paul uses is a quotation from Jesus himself from Luke chapter 10, verse 7. The laborer deserves his wages. Side note, I just want you to see that the apostle Paul here is quoting both Deuteronomy and Luke's gospel as Scripture. Luke's gospel is already being considered Scripture by the Apostle Paul at this early date in the church's history. Paul states this principle that he's laying out even more plainly in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 14. The Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So it's right, it's biblical, then for a church to have paid pastor elders and ministry staff. There are some, there are some in our day who have questioned that. You know, why do we got to pay these guys? Well, we pay these guys because the Bible talks about paying these guys. Uh, a worker is worthy of his wages. But I don't think that Paul is asserting here that every elder needs to be paid. That's unrealistic. But he's saying that every hardworking elder should be honored. So how else can a church family honor its elders? Well, respect is another way of showing honor. You can honor your pastor elders, too, by praying for them. How about thanking them? These are all ways of showing honor. 
And check out Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The absolute best way that you can respect your pastor elders, Bethany Church, is by following their leadership and submitting to their leadership. Boy, submission is such a bad word in our day, but again, I'm just showing you it's right here in the Bible. In my almost 30 years of ministry, I can say without question that this COVID season has been the most challenging season for our staff and our elders, and our fellow pastors. I've talked to Pastor Jeff, and he says the exact same thing. Bethany Church, pray for your elders. Support their agonizingly difficult decisions. They're making really challenging decisions during this time. Follow their leadership. Express your thanks. Express your commitment to the future of Bethany Church. Say to Pastor Jeff, to Pastor David, to your elders, we're with you. We're not going anywhere. We're here. We're trusting God for the future. Let them know that you're with them. They need to hear that. It's a way you can honor them. Okay, so, so far we've seen three principles of biblical eldership. How you doing? You taking some, some, some notes? You getting some stuff today? Yeah? Let me hear you. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, let's keep going. So we've seen the plurality of elders, we've seen the role of elders, we've seen the honor of elders. Let's talk a little bit about the accountability of elders. It's the fourth biblical principle regarding elders here. I love the balance. I want to make sure you see the balance. Even as Paul calls for the honor of elders, he also makes it clear that elders do not have an unbridled dictatorial freedom to do whatever they want in the life of a local church. Look at the text with me, beginning in verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Verse 19 speaks of protecting elders from false accusations, but it also makes clear that there are times when a charge or an accusation needs to be brought against the elders in a church or an elder in a church setting. Paul is not talking here about someone just merely disagreeing with an elder decision. That happens all the time. He's talking about an elder involved in unrepentant sin. Paul is saying that elders are accountable. First to the Lord, as we saw in Hebrews 13, elders will give an account. Makes my knees shake. Elders are going to give an account to God for the leadership of His church. Elders second are accountable to one another. Humble mutual submission to one another is how an elder team leads well together in a local church. Elders third, though, are accountable to the church family whom they serve. Elders are never untouchable. They're never beyond critique or correction. And Paul here outlines a process by which charger, charges against an elder are to be handled. And it's the normal biblical standard that is required, two or three witnesses. Now look at verse 20. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, 
so that the rest may stand in fear. Unrepentant, sinning elders are to be publicly rebuked in the presence of the church so that the rest of the elders may be reminded that they too are accountable. And then Paul drives the point home to Timothy and fellow elders in verse 21 with a solemn charge. Take a look. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Most biblical scholars believe that Timothy likely had himself a leadership mess on his hands there in the church at Ephesus that he needed to deal with. We know that, that uh, Timothy was at sometimes timid and perhaps a little bit passive. And so Paul's encouraging him. Some crucial conversations need to happen, Timothy. Some house cleaning, some confrontation and correction. Paul is telling Timothy, you can't let this stuff go, Timothy. It's got to be dealt with. Why is Paul so strong here? Did you hear the solemn, strong charge? He says, I, I, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I mean, he's bringing everything he can to bear here, I charge you. Why is Paul being so strong about not letting sinning elders slide? Here's why. Because the stakes in the local church are so incredibly high because the local church rises or falls on the quality of its leadership. Because when there's sin in the camp, especially among leadership, it inevitably, sooner or later, affects the whole church. Why is Paul so strong here? Because we're dealing in the local church with the souls of men and women, God's people. And church wounds are real wounds, church wounds are deep wounds. Wounds that people will live with for the rest of their lives. And so many people have been hurt in local church families. Man, I just meet people all the time when I hear their stories. They've been hurt in the church. The stakes are so high. That's the solemn charge to me. That, that's why Paul says, you got to deal with this stuff. Because as the leadership goes, so the church goes. I say to our pastors and elders often, if there is something going on in your life that we don't know, that nobody else sees, some secret sin, something that if made public would bring shame to the name of Jesus and the gospel, please come clean right now or get out. I say it to our elders and our pastors regularly because every one of us underestimates the ripple effect of our lives. Every one of us, especially elders, underestimates the influence and the impact of our lives on others. There's just so much at stake in local church leadership. Elder accountability is crucial, and as we see here, it's absolutely biblical. And the accountability of elders leads Paul to address the fifth and the final elder principle here in 1 Timothy 5, the appointment of elders. Look at what Paul says about it in verse 22. I'm going to read this chunk and then we'll break it down, all right? Look, at, look with me at verse 22. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. 
The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them into judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Well, first things first, what is up with verse 23? No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. It's so out of left field. I mean, let's just admit that together. Where is Paul coming from here? Well, I'm going to just tell you that no biblical scholar really has any clue why this statement is right here. We should just tell you that. Hopefully, I'm sure Jeff does. When, we don't, when we're not sure, we just need to, you know, just surface that thing and tell you. It's so out of left field. Some have said that after the mention of that phrase, keep yourself pure, Paul feels the need to encourage Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach so that he, he understands that he's not talking here about ascetic purity, but no one really knows for certain. So the pur- for the purpose of our time today, we're going to just conveniently ignore, I've told you what I could, we're going to ignore verse 23 because Paul resumes the point he's making about the appointment of elders in verses 24 and 25. Does that work? Can we do that today? Okay. We just need to tell you this stuff when we run up against it, all right? So what's his point? What point is he making here? His point is this. Go slow. Be careful. Character counts in leadership. Take your time to discern and evaluate that character. Examine a man's life, a potential elder's life. And that takes time to do. When we're hasty in the laying on of hands, and laying on of hands is like, that, that's a, a, a metaphor for appointing a leader as a leader or appointing an elder, blessing an elder's ministry, putting him in front of a church family. And that, actually, Paul references this earlier in this book. He says, do you remember, we actually read that, right? Hey, do you remember when the council of elders laid their hands on you and you assumed spiritual leadership? So he's talking about the same thing here, the appointment of elders. When we're hasty in appointing elders, we unintentionally take part in the sins of others. Well, how does that work? Well, I'll give you an example. Let's say there's a captivating, energetic, extremely gifted, charismatic young man in a church family that's winning everybody's hearts and making an impact. People around him are coming to faith in Christ. People around him are growing in their relationship with Christ because of his influence and his ministry. And so now folks are beginning to talk about really promoting him, laying their hands on him, inviting him to join the leadership team as either a paid pastor or an elder. But there's one small issue with this guy that comes up just every once in a great while, and it's a lack of humility in this young man. There's just a bit of pride that shows itself once in a while in this guy's interactions and dealings and ministry. He's almost too slick and just too confident. Paul says, don't overlook that. That matters. Don't rush this guy to leadership. Take your time with that guy. Don't be hasty in laying your hands on that guy. That needs to be addressed. That needs to be dealt with. That needs to be confronted. Wait and see. Take your time. 
Wait and see where that pride thing goes and how it raises its ugly head. You got to know, is that guy correctable? Is that guy coachable? Paul says, if you overlook that and rush that guy to leadership, you're contributing to, you're becoming an enabler, you're partaking in that guy's sins and the damage he might potentially do in that local church context. I think that's what Paul is saying. Keep yourself pure. You keep yourself pure by not being too hasty in appointing elders. He says in verse 24 that some sins are readily obvious, like right from the get-go. But some are more subtle and easy to miss. But with time, that's why don't be hasty, with time, those sins, that character is going to show itself. In our church, I've seen it multiple times. Somebody comes prancing into our church, and they very quickly are seeking a platform. They're asking for a mic. They're wanting to start a class. They're looking to start a new ministry. They want to lead. And guess what? We never let them. We never let them, at least not immediately. We ask for them to sit in, to serve somewhere small, and to serve somewhere unnoticed for a while. Because those who want the mic probably shouldn't have it. Those who want the mic probably shouldn't have it. And do you know what almost always happens? They won't do it. And soon they move on to the next church. The evangelical landscape of our day, if you're anything like me, like I don't get out much and and maybe you're not even aware of what's happening out there on the broader evangelical landscape, but I want to tell you that the broader evangelical landscape in our day is littered with charismatic, gifted young guys who rose to high places of leadership in local churches way too fast for their own good way too fast for their church's good. And most of those guys have either blown up or burnt out. Some have been let go by their local churches because of their abusive authoritarian leadership. Some have experienced moral failures that have disqualified them from ministry. Some have ended up walking away from Jesus and the faith altogether. And all of them, have left a massive wake of hurt feelings and damaged hearts in the churches where they served. The evangelical landscape is littered with these guys right now in our time, which is why what has happened in my life, what you're experiencing this weekend, is so critical. You know, Jeff was just mentored in two different settings over a long period of time. I served for 10 years in associate roles before I stepped into a lead role. I can't tell you how valuable that was for me. And so we just, both Jeff and I, we just believe in this concept. And so when a guy comes in, boy, we challenge him. We say, hey, just sit in. We want you to be here for five, 10 years. Sometimes guys, sometimes guys short circuit that process. They're so they, they rush themselves to leadership, but we just believe in that Joshua, sit in, learn ministry for a long period of time, because we think that creates healthier churches over the long haul. You need to know, 
Pastor Jeff has been long baked, and you're blessed because of it. The character qualifications that Paul lays out in chapter 3 must be taken seriously. It takes time to prove those character qualities and to really, really know if an elder candidate has those qualities. Don't be hasty in the laying on of hands. You know, the elder, I'm going to say it one more time, the elder principles that we're talking about, the elder principles that we see here in 1 Timothy 5, hopefully you're getting the sense today, they matter. They matter. These principles, these truths, they matter. They matter greatly. They matter intensely for the life of a local church, the health of a local church, the thriving of a local church. They're given by God, these principles are, to protect the local church. They're given by God to guide the local church. They're given by God to help the local church not just survive, but thrive. But sadly, these principles so often are just disregarded, ignored altogether in way too many churches in our day. Remember, the local church rises or falls on the quality of its leadership. And so did you get them today? Five very practical, hopefully you see how practical these principles are. Five practical principles concerning elders in a local church. The plurality of elders, the role of elders, the honor of elders, the accountability of elders, and the appointment of elders. On the bottom of your outline, I've given you three next steps to help us process these principles and apply God's Word together. Will you take a look at those? You can pick one, but this week, I actually think that you can handle, you can tackle all three. So take a look. Next step number one. I want to challenge you, Bethany Church, thank God for your pastor elders in their hard and their hard, often unseen work here at Bethany Church. When was the last time that you did that? Just thanked God for your leadership here in your church. So go to the Lord first and just thank Him for what you've got. I think you've got a great thing, a biblical thing. So uh, that's a next step for you. Here's next step number two. And it's like I just pulled this. We looked at it, but it's uh, Hebrews 13. I just want to challenge you to it. You know, here's the reality. I can come in as a guest and I can say all these things that Jeff would have a hard time saying. So I'm saying them. And so I'm going to say to you what God's Word says to us, Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. Bethany Church, these guys are going to have to give an account to God. Let the elders, let your pastors do this with joy, as they they let them keep watch over your soul with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I want to challenge you to that. It's next step number two, right from God's Word. And then next step number three, find a way to express your appreciation and thanks to one or more of your pastor elders here at Bethany through verbal encouragement, a phone call, personal note, or some other appreciation gesture. And you got to know, Pastor Jeff did not ask me to do this today. I'm doing it because I I want this for you, Bethany Church. Three next steps. I hope you'll do at least one, but I think you can do all three. Does it sound good? Will you do them this week? I'm not sure. Are you going to do this, Bethany? Boy, you got to give me more than that. 
Hey, let's pray together. Lord, we just uh, thank you for all that's happening here at Bethany Church. I know these have been hard and challenging, but also good days. Uh, I just thank you for calling Jeff here. It is such a delight for me to see him in the local church where you've called him. And uh, the church is yours, Lord. You're our chief shepherd. And uh, those who lead, I pray for the pastor elders here at Bethany. Give them courage, give them confidence, give them humility, give them uh, really just a unity as they mutually submit to one another. May they dig in even more having heard these principles. May they appreciate what they've got. May they cultivate that unity and humility. It's so important. We can't take it for granted. And then I pray for the church family here at Bethany that you would encourage their hearts as they uh, lean forward into the future. So much uncertainty in these days, but you're doing a work here. You're always at work, and I see it. And so may they be encouraged. Uh, May they appreciate and honor their pastor elders. May they express that uh, appreciation and that honor in creative and new ways, fresh ways, I pray. May they submit to their elders and obey their leadership. It's not easy. Uh, We're living in such a uh, suspicious, critical time, and we hate that word submission, but your, your word is clear. And so I just pray that you'd, in general, just build the unity of Bethany Church around this leadership and take this local church forward. I can't wait to see what happens here over the next uh, 10 years. I'm praying for them, and I'm cheering for them, and uh, we, we just are expectant. Uh, we can't wait to see what you do. And so do a work here for your namesake. May the gospel grow and move forward. May it increase both internally but also externally across Bethany and uh, all the local communities in this area. I just pray a blessing upon Bethany Church today. Thanks for the privilege of being here. In Christ's name, we pray together. Amen.